welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. I did that on purpose this morning. Because I love church. Man, I love coming to church. I love hanging around most of you. And so this is really kind of a... Okay, well, hold on. We got to wait until... <laughs> you know, we, yeah, we, I love this place and, and these people, you people, and maybe even most of you online, though I actually don't know who, who's watching online. <clears throat> And we're living in a time that, that these kinds of experiences may not be that common, where we can get together and we can, we can enjoy being around people. You know, often some of the environments that we're actively involved in are not that much fun. You know, work sometimes can be I, I like my job, but, you know, some, some jobs can be hard because the people that you're surrounded by with don't really stimulate you towards happiness, towards joy, towards positive feelings at all. And we're living in a time and a culture where, you know, it's hard to find joy. It's hard to find, you know, even just an uplifting experience. You know, there's a certain place you can go where, you know, you might get a little positive feedback from somebody, but we're living in difficult times. We're living in times where, where happiness and joy can, that's just a, a struggle. You know, we, have, we all have life issues, life issues. Come, you, know, you know, Arnie's family now going through a difficult time as he's, you know, still in the hospital but soon getting out, but then all the healing process and, you know, John Everett. Uh, we have people with, with chronic pain that they're dealing with, lots of different hard things. But in the midst of it, you know, the, the reality is, 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 there, is there a way to find happiness? The kind of happiness that I, I think we all, at some level, long for and seek. We live in a culture where we have to, we have to you know, walk on eggshells around all the people around us because we're not sure who's going to be offended when we speak truth. You know, we just got suspended off of YouTube because we spoke truth. You know, my response is to that? Bye-bye. Oh, well. But the reality is, is there's places and there's people and, there, and, and we have this, this desire within us to be happy, right? I mean, isn't that a natural desire we have to be happy? If you haven't already done that, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we're in, our, we're in this series, The Savior King and His Kingdom. We're in that section of the, the gospel of Matthew of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are something that, that many people are familiar with. You know, they, they've heard the Beatitudes, blessed be, and blessed is, blessed are. And the reality is, is that that word blessed is very often translated as happy are. And the, the, the connection to happiness, now we recognize and we see in this that there's a, there's a different truth in that. It's not just happiness. Actually, it isn't even much deeper than that. It points to God's approval that the, the ones that God approves are the ones that line up with, that live in these certain parameters, these certain, these certain things, these certain attitudes, these beatitudes, be this. If you are this, then, then you will know God's approval, and it's through God's approval that we experience happiness. You know, it's very difficult when we live in a culture that 
that, that is just unhappy. I mean, look around your cult our culture. People are just plain unhappy. And they seem to be reveling in their unhappiness. It's weird to me that we're in this section of Scripture, and if we, if we can understand this, if we can understand what these Beatitudes are trying to teach us, they are pointing us to true happiness. They're pointing us to the, 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 the kind of life that, is, that knows God's approval, and, it, and I make that very personal, that knows God's smile. That's one of my great passions, my great desires in life. I want to know God is smiling down upon my life. How do I know God's smiling on my life? Well, by living these. If I live these, these beatitudes and, and everything else God, where God's word says, I know that he's smiling down upon my life. And if he's smiling down upon my life, that means he's going, he is going to uh, cause me to experience more of his grace, more of his favor, more of his love, more of his presence, more of him. And that should be our desire, to experience more God every single day in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. And so that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at these beatitudes. We're looking at these so that we, in the midst of the times that we're in, in the times where the economy is not good, where gas prices and electricity and food prices, everything are just too stinking high, where there's a concern, you know, that, you know, you know, could we lose our jobs? Could we lose our homes? Could we, all these things, all these concerns are real and true. And these fears and this, you know, fear of, of things that might happen to me, things that might happen around me. Now, you know, people are talking about wars in this place and that place. And what's that going to mean for us? All these things, all these things. Can we know happiness in the midst of it? The answer is yes. Right in the midst of all that garbage, right in the midst of all that, that, that turmoil, all in the midst of all this stuff, we can know something the rest of the world cannot possibly know. In the midst of, of all of the, the hardships of life, we can be happy. Now, it's not always going to be fun. Let's be real. We're not going to walk around you know, with this, ooh, you know, this silly grin on our face. And sometimes it's just going to be stinking hard. You know, right now, Arnie's not, he's not, in a, he's not feeling good right now. A lot of people aren't feeling good. It's hard. But something inside of us ought to be able to resonate with the truth that these scriptures teach us. And so that's what we're hoping to do as we go through this. We've got to be careful that we don't allow these things to become some sort of religious exercise or practice. They are how people are to walk and to live in the kingdom of God, to experience all of God. We're, I'm going to quote it. I'm going to get into a scripture a little bit later. It talks about partaking of the divine nature. Do you understand? God wants you to know him so intimately that you feel like him. Wow. That you experience the world in the same way that he does. Now, now understand, you're wrapped in human flesh, and so that does limit just how much of that we can experience, but he wants to experience some portion of that. That's radical. You know, no other religion on earth even remotely suggests that. We have this God who loves us so much that he wants us to know him so intimately that we think, we feel, we act just like him. And when we do that, it's good. It's really good. So let's continue as we go through this text. We are in a situation, we're in a, this next one that we're going through. We're looking at today, we're going to be looking at verse 6. I was talking with Larry before the service today, and we're, we're talking about, you know, the Beatitudes and how, 
how you know we've all done it. We've probably all heard messages on the Beatitudes. Typically, hear all of them in a single message. Boop, 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 boop. You know, you know, knock them all out and on to the next thing. And you know, and, and God really put it on my heart to really slow down and go, you know, go through them one at a time because there's so much to be said about them. And that that things that even as experienced believers, we need to hear it again and again and again because this is the Christian life. This is how God wants us to live in this world. And if we can get this, all the rest of it becomes a little bit easier. Amen? You know, anybody hungry right now? Ready for, ready for lunch already? Okay, yeah, you're always hungry probably. <laughs> You know, the, the, most of us have never experienced true hunger. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Kelly and I are fond of a show called Alone. And uh, in that show, if you've ever watched it, you know, the number one issue for people is finding enough food to survive in, in the wilderness over a period of time. Now, most of us have never experienced starvation, I hope. You know, the, the feeling that, that literally that you, you, you just, you're... T- Number one focus, the only thing you can think about is food. And that's what hunger does. Hunger tends to drive us down to narrow our view of the rest of the things. If you get hungry enough, nothing else matters in the world. Nothing else matters. And we're gonna look at a different kind of hunger today. A hunger that is blessed by God. That God says this is how you are blessed And sadly, there are people in churches all around the world who call themselves Christians who are starving spiritually. Amos 8.11 says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord Too many Christians act like they want to know God, act like they want to hear from God, act like they want to be like Christ, and they don't, really. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says this, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I, I've told you this before. I can't imagine being a pastor who is leading a church and not preaching God's word. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to stand before the Lord and have led people down a pathway that is not leading them to Christ. They may talk about Christ. They may talk about spiritual things, but they're not talking the truth. They're not speaking God's word. The problem is they're doing it because their people don't want to hear it. And so when they, when they stop preaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse, or teaching the hard truths of God, which include things like repentance, whoopee, you know, people start to come. Hey, hey, we like, oh, he makes me feel good. Listen, if you're coming to this church to feel good, you might have a rude awakening. God says that we need to feel his heart. We need to feel what he feels. And sometimes that means looking into ourselves and saying, ugh, that's not what God wants. That's not what God's looking for in me. He's looking for something different than that. And I should feel bad when my heart is not like God's heart. It should make me feel bad because he did create my heart. He did create my heart to be his. He created my heart to know him. He created my heart to love him. He created my heart to love like he loves. And when I don't do it, that should break my heart. That shouldn't feel good. God's desire is that we would be filled. Anybody had a really good meal recently? I had one just last night, had a really good meal. And we went away full. (laughs) <laughs> really full, over full. God wants us to be that way spiritually. He wants us to be filled spiritually. 
but you can't just go to the buffet and pile it on your plate. There's things you have, you have to do it God's way to be spiritually filled. So I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to uh, help us to be filled this morning. Hopefully we'll, we'll leave here filled. And not just filled, but have a desire to be filled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come humbly before you, recognizing that, that Lord, that we, we might need some help. Uh, we do need help. But we may not really realize how much help we need. And so I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you administer to each of us and help us to know what our true needs are. Not the practical ones. We all know what those ones are. We need to know what the spiritual needs are. Those that, that, that might, we might not be paying the right amount of attention to. And while, Lord, we're in this attitude of prayer, I want to lift up those. Um, as they've already been praying to Arnie and, and, um, and John and, and others that, that are, are healing and recovering and those that are struggling with illness like Karen. I pray, Lord, for a touch upon them, Lord God, that you would, that you would help them, Lord. And Lord, that you would be with us as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts to receive what your word has to say to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the fourth of the Beatitudes. In the first three Beatitudes, we're told, the first, the first one reminds us of our need for God. And, and, and that, 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 there's a, that there should be a, a deep sense of, of who we are in relation to God. That as we, as we grow in our faith, we should recognize how great God is and then how small we are. The, 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 the illustration or the, the, the image that we ought to have, the, the impression that we ought to have as we relate to this topic is that God, you are so great and I am nothing compared to you. The utter nothingness of self compared to God. It's not natural to us. That is not a natural way for us to view ourselves. I am something. And sometimes I think I'm a really something something. Kelly reminds me, no you're not. And it's okay because that keeps me where I need to be. We also need to evaluate who God is in relation to holiness. Is God holy? How holy? As holy as holy can be. He's perfectly holy. There is no unholiness. He's absolutely pure. Okay, how are we in relation to him? The exact opposite of that. We are broken, wretched. We are sinners. And, and the Bible tells us that when we realize that, it ought to produce a sense of mourning in us that, that God is so holy, he's so perfect, and, and it should bother us that we aren't because we were made in his image to reflect his image out in this world. And we, when we are not holy, it should give us a sense of sadness, deep sadness. And the third the third beatitude calls us to abandon all pretenses of merit. That, that in God's, in front of God, we deserve nothing except maybe judgment. And it calls us to fall on our knees, fall on our faces in absolute humility. If we do that, first off, the Bible says, Blessed are, God approves of us when we do that. When he approves of us, there's a, there's a benefit to God's approval, right? Do we accept that? There's, a good, there's good connected to God's approval. But also, those three things, not only do they produce God's smile upon us, because we, we tend to focus on the negative elements of those, that's our sin nature doing that. When we do that, though, we sense God's smile, and he brings us into this place of his grace, more and more of his grace, and one of the things it produces in us is that these three things cause us to turn our eyes fully to God. The more we can keep our heart and mind focused on God, the more we can experience his presence and his grace and his mercy and his love and all those, all those other things. And because 
Christians, too many Christians, fail to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in those first three Beatitudes, they can develop within themselves a sense of satisfaction, but not in God. They'll satisfy themselves in their religious exercise or with their spiritual condition, oblivious to the fact that they are spiritually starving. Let's look at the fourth beatitude. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. First off, what is righteousness? A simple definition is being in a right relationship with God. That's what righteousness is, being in a right relationship. It's very simple to say. It's a lot harder to live. Because being in a right relationship with God includes a complete knowledge who God is, what he expects of us, and how much and where we are in relation to all of that. So the more we know God, the better we can be in a right relationship with him. And the less we know God, the harder it is to be in a right relationship with him. The Bible teaches us that righteousness is, is connected to, absolutely connected to salvation. You cannot separate the two. In Isaiah 61.10, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That there is this, the reality is that, that, that through faith we are clothed with righteousness. And then Paul summarizes that in Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's the truth. The only people who can be righteous are those who are saved. You have to have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross or you cannot be right with God. What does that say to all the people who are not believers in Jesus Christ? Doesn't matter how good they are. Doesn't matter how nice they are. Doesn't matter how generous they are. Doesn't matter, none of those things matter. The Bible tells us that there is only one way to God, and that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You said, I am the way. How many ways are there? One. That's, that's narrow-minded, Pastor. That's exactly right. I am so thankful God made it one way. Not a thousand ways, not a million ways, not your way. One way, through Jesus Christ. Makes it much simpler As sinners, and, and that's one of the realities that we understand as we, as we understand what it means to be poor in spirit, we're sinners. We have nothing to offer God except our sin. As sinners, we are destitute of righteousness. You have no righteousness. Romans 3, 10 through 12. This is not popular, by the way, in a lot of churches. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. How many does that mean are righteous? None. Do we have any righteous people in this church? In you, in your works, in your life, none. Including right here. I'm not righteous. In me, in me is no righteousness. That hurts my pride bad. My pride doesn't like that because I, I think I'm pretty good sometimes. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Gosh, and it's so important for us to understand that. It's not saying that, you know, well, it is saying you're pretty messed up. But it's not, you know, it's not making us, you know, unredeemable because God made a way for us to be redeemed. Our prideful human nature hates that message, right? 
I mean, even as believers, even as, as mature believers, we wrestle with that because, because we are making progress in our faith and we're doing good things. And, and you know, it's, it's like, okay, well, that's, that, you know, that's everybody on that side of the room, not this side of the room, whatever, we, whatever way that we imagine that we are different than everybody else. You're not. Yeah, you know, we want to believe I'm not all that bad, Right? I mean, don't we want to believe that? That's our nature. Our nature says, I'm not all that bad. Or at least, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. God disagrees. He says, yes, you are. You are that bad. But then in love, he created us to be the objects of his love. He created us to be the recipients of his grace. He created us to be the transmitters of his glory. You can't do that while we're in the dirt as wretched, pathetic, helpless sinners. And so he calls us to do certain things, to have certain attitudes, to allow the Spirit of God, to do something with us. One of those, if we humble ourselves before him, he lifts us up and fills us with his presence. We can't be righteous. God must impart Christ's righteousness into us. That's the only hope we have. Arthur Pink said this, just as the sins of God's people were all transferred to Christ, so his righteousness is placed upon them. You have no righteousness in yourself, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have Christ's righteousness over you, covering you. That's a radical concept, is that when people see righteousness in us, it's not ours. If they see goodness in us, it's not ours. If they see generosity in us, it's not ours. If you're doing it in faith, you're doing it according to Christ, it's not yours. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we take a little bit too much credit for that stuff. That's where we start to get in trouble. That's why we need to keep coming back to these beatitudes and reminding, oh, you're poor in spirit. You mourn over your, your sin and, and, you know, you know, and that we're, we're called to be meek or humble all these things, reminding ourselves of these things so that we can purify the vessel that God is using to transmit his grace and mercy and love and glory out to the rest of this world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we are the righteousness of Christ through faith in Christ. That's radical. Why does God do that? Well, what kind of, what level of righteousness does God expect from his people? Perfect righteousness. Perfect holiness. Now, I don't know. I don't know about you. I'm not, I'm not there. I've not mastered perfection yet. I am not 100% obedient to every single one of God's commands every single day, every single breath, every single thought. I wish I was, but I'm not. But God expects that. He expects absolute perfection. The, the way to get to heaven is absolute perfection. Okay, I'm in trouble because I'm not perfect and none of us are. But when we understand these beatitudes, we understand what God is trying to communicate to us here. When we understand that we are spiritual paupers. We have nothing. We have nothing to offer to God. We have nothing to bring to God and say, God, look at this for, so that I can get into heaven. Look at this so that I can know your smile. Look at this so that I can experience your grace and mercy and love and peace and hope and all those things. Look at, what I, look at me, God, for all of these things. I have nothing. I have no merit. 
no justification for God to do anything for me. And when I come to him like that, and I come to him humility, and I come broken over my, my, my failure to be perfect, he then responds by doing the, the most opposite thing that I can imagine. He gives to us the very thing he expects us to be. You understand that? When, when he expects us to be absolutely perfect, and we can't, we never will, when we realize that we come to him in that state, he gives it to us. Wow. We can't be righteous, but when you come to him and say, God, I can't be righteous, he says, okay, good, here it is, boom. You are righteous. And Jesus tells us that the, the blessing comes to those who hunger and thirst for it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the idea of hunger and thirst is, is to express a, a great desire of which we are acutely aware of. When you get hungry, when you get really hungry, not the, oh, I need a snack kind of hungry, but the really hungry. We used to participate in a, a program with some of the men in the church where we take a, a three-day fast. If you've never done that, that is a miserable experience. <laughs> not eating for three days. Rick, don't play that way. I, I rarely skip a meal, which is obvious. But when, you're, when you are really hungry, that's all you can think of. Your mind can't really focus on anything else. And if you, go, if you get really, really hungry, then, then, then it starts to affect everything. You really can't function almost in any way. We are being called here to become acutely aware of our need for the righteousness of Christ. To be hunger and thirst for that righteousness. To desire it more than our necessary food, as Job would say. And, and, and the, but before, we, we have, how does that happen? How do you do that? Well, first, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. He has to do that in you. We, he, he, first, the first thing he does, he makes you aware of God's perfect righteousness. And then he makes you aware of your not perfect righteousness. It makes you aware of the distance between the two. And the more aware we are of that, the more we realize, well, wait, that's what I need to experience God, to experience all of God, to experience more of God, to experience God's smile, his grace. All of the things that I desire, I, I should desire, I, how do I get there? The distance is too far. And we realize that we humble ourselves before God. We're broken because I can't, I can't make that journey on my own. In John 16, 8, it says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is he points out that distance, that discrepancy between the two. And if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he's making that clear to you. You are not righteous enough, righteous enough for heaven. And you never will be. Spirit reveals to us that unless our righteousness is perfect, that we cannot see God, we cannot know God, we cannot experience him in any way on this planet, nor can we experience him in the next life. And then our soul realizes that, that and confesses that I have nothing, I can't change it. I can't change that reality. I can't change the fact that I, I, I can't be righteous enough for, he for heaven. Your soul finally breaks down and confesses that reality. And that discovery, for many, should bring us to a place of mourning and grief as we understand our desperate condition. I need to be perfect, but I'm not, and nor can I ever be perfect. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he starts to stir up that hunger and thirst for righteousness. In humility, we turn to God and we seek him with our whole being because he's the only one. He's the only one can do something about this great gap, this great separation between us and God. 
And it's this hunger and thirst that originally brings all of us to Christ. Whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you would, you would be able to describe it to anyone or not, that's what happens. There's a point where you say that I need something to change. I need something to happen. And then the Holy Spirit comes and does that radical work that brings us into a place of salvation, that brings us into faith. But it doesn't end once you're saved. And that's where many in the church are falling short. They get saved, but they don't allow the hunger and thirst for righteousness to continue to develop and grow within them. It should change as we grow in our faith. And, and, and we, don't, we don't hunger and thirst for salvation because we are saved. You don't need to, you know, once, once you've eaten it, you don't need to eat it again. Well, yeah, except unless it's Chinese and you, a couple hours later you're going to eat it again. We had Chinese last night, so that's really fresh on my mind. But it should be replaced by a hunger and thirst for practical righteousness. Once I'm saved, the Bible says to me that I now, I now have the, the rights of Christ covering me, which means I can go into the presence of God anytime that I want and know that he's going to receive me. He's going to accept me as one of his children. says, come, child, come. But there's a time where, where okay, that's good, but what about, what about as I'm living through this life, as I'm walking through this life? What kind of righteousness does God expect of me as I go through this life? And it's practical righteousness. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus. If, I, if I'm living the life that I'm supposed to, I'm covered by his righteousness. I'm so thankful for the fact that I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I now bear the perfect righteousness of Christ that gets me into heaven. But how does God want me to live out this life practically? He wants me to be perfect in my doings. We should be walking closer to Jesus every day. Turn to Philippians chapter three, Philippians three. Before we do there, I just wanna touch on the account. In John chapter 13, Jesus is sitting with the disciples. They're, they're at the Last Supper, and, and Jesus is, you know, he, he, after the supper is done, he gets up from the table and says he lays his robe aside. He, he wraps himself with a towel and then goes and washes the feet of the disciples. It's a radical expression of service to people who had just hours before been arguing about which of them was the greatest in the kingdom of God. None of them had offered to serve in this way. Instead, Jesus did it. And when he said to them as he was doing it, especially as he got to Peter, and Peter said, oh, oh no, 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 you're not gonna wash my feet. And Jesus said, hey, I have to. If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And, and, and Peter says, well, then wash all of me. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, I don't need to do that. You're already clean. And the point he was making is that he was saved, Peter was saved, but the reality is we walk through this life, we pick up stuff. We pick up sin. We're touched by sin. We're affected by sin. We're influenced by sin. We do sin. And we need to have that cleaned off. In Philippians chapter three, there is a warning here, both in, this, in this, this beatitude and here in Philippians, not to become complacent in our faith. And I think that's a great danger to those in the church, that we grow in our faith, we move along in our faith, and we get to a point where we say, that's good enough. I'm enough like Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so, so that's, you know, that's, I'm, better, I'm better than the pastor, so that's good enough. I can stop now. That's not that hard, by the way. So, you know, don't, don't use that as a guide. He, he tells us here in this, in this beatitude, for those who hunger and thirst, and the, and the, and the phrase who hunger and, and thirst, both of them, 
are in the present tense active voice. Meaning that hungering and thirsting, thirsting are something that should be happening right now. And it's not passive, it's active. That means I'm doing something that is stimulating hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the question we need to ask ourselves, do I feel a need to be more like Christ? Do I sense in within myself a need to be more like Jesus? Do I, do I sense that I'm, 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 I'm moving closer to him and, and I, I, I want to be closer to him in the way that he lived? Do I need more righteousness? Or am I righteous enough? Am I good enough for heaven? Paul expressed the attitude I think we should have here in, in Philippians chapter three. And he says this. And, and in case you're wondering, Paul was a pretty spiritual guy, right? Matter of fact, he probably was the greatest Christian alive, at least at that time, maybe, maybe ever. He says this. Verse eight, yet I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, meaning that Christ was more important than everything else in his life and being like Christ was the main thing. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here's why. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, I want to know him. Not just know him, I want to know these, these, these things that make Christ so important to the world. I want to understand these things. I want them to be real in who I am. Verse 12, not that I have already attained. Again, Paul writing some of the most powerful things that have, been, that have ever been recorded in the scriptures. Here he is writing, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I Press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here he is, Paul writing this, and he's, and, he, and he's saying, he's saying that I, 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 just, I just, one thing I'm focused on, I'm focused on moving toward Christ, being like Christ, knowing Christ, knowing all that there is to know about him and his life and how he's called us to all of these things in life. Well, and Paul talks about this, while God is calling us to be content with our material reality. Wherever we are material, he wants us to be content that whether you have enough or not enough, be content. That's hard, but that's what he calls us to. God says, be content with where you are in this life. But because we know that God is calling us to something else, he's calling us to something that I refer to as satisfied discontentment with our spiritual condition. Let me explain that. We know that God the Holy Spirit is working in us, right? He, he's working in us. If you're letting it, he's working in you to make you more, to be more like Jesus, causing us to grow in righteousness. And, and the danger is that we can get to a place where we're satisfied with our spiritual growth. I've gone far enough. I've, I've worked 
hard enough or life just gets in the way and, and interrupts whatever it is that was causing you to grow. Lots of ways that we can get to this place where, okay, it's okay where I am, right? I can take a break. I can just be me for a while. We know God has a goal for our lives. What is that goal? To make us to be like Jesus, right? Anybody, anybody there yet? No, we're not there yet. So we should never be content with our spiritual state. We can always be more like Jesus. We can be satisfied that what God is doing in us is, is enough. That I, Okay, I'm satisfied that where I am spiritually, if I'm, if I'm walking in faith, I can be satisfied that where I am spiritually is where I'm supposed to be. But I'm never, I can't be content with that. I can always be more like Jesus. And so while I stay satisfied with where God has me, what he's doing in me, and, and, and you, know, with all, you know, all that stuff, unless I'm, unless I'm rebelling, unless I'm disobeying, then you need to repent, right? Repenting is, repenting is okay. Anybody okay? You know, anybody have a problem with repentance? See Randy after the service. I, I say this to you. Repentance is the greatest gift that God gave to the church. When we blow it, he says, okay, just tell me you blew it. Just admit to me you blew it, and we'll start over again. God, how, why would you not want to talk about that? I love repentance. I use it a lot. <laughs> we need to be satisfied where we are spiritually, but not content. Always striving, always longing for more always looking for the next step that I can take to be more like Christ. We can always be more like Christ. And that's where hunger and thirst for righteousness come into the picture. We can never be fully satisfied until we're like Jesus. Until we're like him, we're, we're never gonna be whole. We're never gonna be complete. We're never gonna be finished. And so my desire, I must long for that. Just as I would long and desire to fill my body with food when I need it, I need to fill my soul with a hunger and thirst for more of Christ. We'll never be fully complete until we are completely conformed into the image of Christ. And we can't be happy without without knowing that we're moving along that pathway. Not really happy. The blessed part of that is it doesn't depend upon us. You know, God doesn't need me to cause me to be more like Jesus. He can make me do it. Now, he's looking for us to cooperate, right? He does, he does expect us to cooperate. But Ephesians 2.10 tells this, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he tells us later that he will complete that work. Who will? God will. We're told in this beatitude that God blesses those who strongly desire to be filled with God's righteousness, that we hunger and thirst for it with a great, deep desire to be more like Jesus. He says, they shall be filled. God creates the need. You know why God creates needs within us? So that he can fill them. When, when God puts a need in you, he does it because he wants to fill it. In Psalm 34, 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. God gives needs. He allows needs to rise up within us and those that are of God. He has a desire to fill them. He usually gives us a pathway to that filling. Psalm 107, 8 says this, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Catch that last part. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. What does the soul need to be for it to be filled? Longing and hungry. Having that desire to be filled. 
You know, we all have a desire. We all have desires to be filled. The problem is what are those desires? Are they godly desires? Or are they human desires? Do we desire justice in this world of injustice? Okay, is that a right desire? There's a way that it's right, but it can't be your primary. It can't be the main thing because justice apart from righteousness is injustice. Always is. That's what we see going on. This whole, this whole social justice movement is the most unjust thing you can imagine because there's no righteousness in it. God's not in it. You cannot have social justice without God. What you get is more injustice, worse injustice, typically. Listen, the humble believer, the person that is practicing these beatitudes, realizes that only God can meet our needs. Only God can satisfy the desires that are in us. And so they turn to him and seek him. Now, if your desires are wrong, do you know what God will do? He'll tell you. He'll let you know. If you're humbly seeking him and longing for his filling, he'll let you know. God creates the need so that he can fill it. They shall be filled. Filled with what? That's a good question, right? Anybody, anybody thinking that? You know, some, some of my Bible study people are probably thinking that very thing. Filled with what, pastor? Righteousness. If we're, hunger, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and God is creating that desire within us, what does he want to fill us with? He wants to fill us with righteousness. What righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. And ultimately, that points to heaven. That's where that, that, will be, that desire will be completely satisfied is when we get to heaven, we will be completely righteous. Perfectly righteous. But it also has a now aspect to it. I, ta- I alluded to this at the front of the message. In 2 Peter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Partakers of the divine nature. I don't know that we're ever gonna fully understand exactly what that means. Every time I read it, I want to know what it means better and better. I want to experience it. I want to know what is it to experience the divine nature. If you remember, God is, God is good, right? How good? Perfectly good. He is holy, perfectly holy. He is complete. Oh, what does it mean that God is complete? He needs nothing from anyone. We can experience all of the action, not all of them. We, 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 we will experience a shadow of the divine nature, not the complete divine nature until we are with him in heaven. But we can experience more and more of a sense of his perfect love, his perfect peace, his perfect everything. We get to experience that in this life as we grow in righteousness, as we allow God to grow us in faith and respond to his work, the work of the Holy Spirit moving through us in faithful obedience, he fills us with more and more righteousness. And through that righteousness, we experience more and more of God. We experience his grace. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we grow and hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's something, something we can do so that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. The simple answer is nope. But there are some things we can do to open the door to it. If you're a child of God, a Christian, then God has already placed a desire to seek him within you. It's already in you. But there are things that we can do that unleash that desire, that open up that desire, that expand that desire and they're the things we talk about all the time. 
That desire has to be nurtured, has to be grown. We do it through practical Christian activities. We might even, what's the other term that we use for these? Um, I'm going to blank on it, forget it. Disciplines, spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, service, giving, fellowship with other believers, worship, studying the Bible, all these things, these, these practical spiritual disciplines that we do help to unlock the things of God within us and help us to grow in our hunger and thirst for righteousness. But, but that's where we have to be careful because just practicing those things does none of that. Just reading your Bible does not stir up the desire to be more righteous. Just coming and singing the songs or just, just coming and, and w- serving, whatever it might be, just doing those things are not enough to stir up a desire for more righteousness. We've got to begin by humbling ourselves before God. Before we do any of those, we need to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm going to do this thing. I need, I, I need you to use it to cause me to hunger and thirst for more righteousness. Before I pray, I'm not just praying just to check off my, you know, that I'm a good spiritual Christian. I prayed today for three and a half seconds. (laughs) I prayed before my breakfast. I'm good with Jesus. Mm -mm. I want to pray so that I can know my God better so that I can experience his presence as I'm communing with him, either in, in word or in thought, however I, I might be doing my prayer time. I want to commune with him so that he can stir up within me more righteous, because the main thing, here's the thing, what, what Jesus is telling us here in this beatitude is that righteousness is the main thing, not the other things that we tend to focus on. Not safety, not, not, not justice, not anything else, not satisfaction, happiness. None of those things are the main thing. The main thing is righteousness. You know what righteousness does? It leads us to justice. It leads us to safety. It leads us. To, it leads us. We humble ourselves before reading, before praying, before doing any of the spiritual disciplines. We need to open our heart to God and say, God, use this to draw me closer to you, to stir up the desire for more righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit, he's gonna do his work. And at the same time, we need to clean up our spiritual house. If we are engaged in sin, how righteous can you be? How righteous can we, can we hope to be if sin is allowed to persist in our lives? Now, now we, all, we all will sin, what I'm talking about is that sin that we allow in, not the sins that we stumble into, not the sin that we, we fumble over, but the sin that we allow. We must seek out those areas of, of fear or weir- worry or anger or frustration or you know, the practical sins that, that we could be doing, and we've got to clean out our house. If you want to be filled with all of the good of God, all the promises of God, all the strength of God, all the power of God, all the things that are God, then we need to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to do that work within us, to cleanse us out of all the stuff that doesn't belong there, but then to fill us with a passion, with a desire for more and more righteousness. God is faithful. Somebody say amen. God is faithful. If we seek him, what can we expect? He will help us to find him. You can't find him on your own, but he'll, he'll, if you're seeking him, he will make himself known to us. And then what he'll do? He will fill you. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for your presence here today, thanking you for your word, and we pray, Lord, as we've talked about righteousness, Lord God, the, the reality of righteousness is that, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a work that you do in us, that in and of ourselves we have none, but through you we can have the righteousness of Christ. How radical is that? 
And then at the same time, you can stir within us a desire to be more and more practically righteous, to be more and more like Jesus, so that the righteousness that we have through faith in Christ can be manifested to the world around us because the world is desperate for something. We can be satisfied through your filling us with your presence. The world doesn't know that. The world can't experience that. But they can see it in us. And they can see it as we develop within our own hearts a hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we desire it more than anything else. And Lord, if we would take that time and do that real heart work where we'd examine ourselves and, and ask ourselves, what do we want more than that? What do we desire more than that? What are we hungry for more than righteousness? If there's anything more than righteousness, then we need, to, we need to do some real serious work with you. We need to turn from whatever it is, even those things that we might call good, that the world might call good, that other Christians might call good, that the church might call good. But if it's not what you're calling us to, God, it is not good. And so I pray that our, our great passion, our great desire would be more righteousness. But the Word tells us that righteousness can only be possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That there is no righteousness apart from Christ. And so if anyone is watching online or here in person who has not given their heart fully to Christ or maybe, maybe been lukewarm to Christ, that while righteousness is the, is, the, is the pathway to God's filling, to the sense of satisfaction and, and, and happiness, that we can't do it apart from yielding our heart fully and completely to Christ. So if anyone is, is, has, has either never given their heart to Christ or has been lukewarm to him, been neutral to him, been, been focused on their own things instead of him, that they'd humble their hearts right this very moment. They yield to him and allow him to do work inside of them. Holy Spirit, I pray, open their hearts to believe that it's only through Jesus that we can know this righteousness. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. It's only through Jesus that we can have the hope of heaven. It's only through Jesus that we can have our sins forgiven, all of our sins forgiven, that we can be free of guilt over the, over the reality of the brokenness of our sin. I pray that they would confess their need for him and it would become that 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 opportunity for them to be free. And I know, Lord, that often people will hear that and they say, yeah, I, I need to do that. And I pray they would, because the Bible also tells us that if we hear that message and we, and we understand that truth, but then don't respond to it, then our heart becomes a little bit harder. And next time, if there is a next time, we may be less responsive to that truth. And so I pray if there's anyone here who needs to hear that and needs to respond to it, that they would do it right now. Or if they're watching online, I pray that they would respond to this truth right now. Just confess your need for Jesus and believe. And Lord, for all of us, stir up within us that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a work of you, God. We're gonna do our part we're gonna do those spiritual disciplines that help to stir it up. But Lord, we, ultimately we know it can only be done by you. And so we give you that, that permission to work in our lives to bring us to that place of complete and total submission to you and stir us up, Lord. Make us hungry, make us thirsty for more and more righteousness that the world might see that there is a God in heaven, that he is good, that he is love, that he is holy, and that, that he has a plan for them just as much as he has a plan for us. Use us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you all. If we can pray with you, please let us pray with you. Otherwise, have a radical week in Jesus. We have communion elements in the back. If you'd like to partake of communion, please help yourself. Amen? Go be with Jesus. 
you are joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.